Welcome to the Dauntless Grace Exchange. I'm Megan. And I'm Deidre. And today we have with us Amber Runyon. Amber and I know each other through work. And uh, as always, most of our guests come somehow from Greenville University, where Megan and I both used to work. So there's always that connection with the old Greenville University. Uh, Amber, I'm going to read your official bio, and then we'll hand it over to you to tell us a little bit more about yourself. So Amber is 22 years old. She's a recent graduate with a bachelor's degree in social work from Greenville University, just graduated this past spring. She's currently an RA, which is a resident assistant and program care coordinator at Eden's Glory, where she's been working almost a year and a half now. She'll be starting her MSW program this fall at SIU Edwardsville. Uh, she thinks that social work and ministry has been a passion of hers for a long time, even before college, but it was really in college when she developed a calling to the anti-trafficking field. She comes from a large field. Uh, I'm sorry, a large field. Well, you come from a large family and she is one of 12 kids. Eight of Yes, eight of which were adopted. And being a big sister and more recently an aunt has been one of her favorite roles. She's an Enneagram 9, which we're going to talk a little bit more about today. And she believes being an Enneagram 9 in a large family with lots of outside factors has given her a unique skill set and lens into crisis intervention, trauma, and peacemaking. So I love that bio for you. It's um, formal and personal, and it just tells us so much about your nature and your character but yeah welcome thank you for being willing to do the podcast with us today yeah of course um I'm glad to be here thanks for asking um yeah I think you hit on most of the major points there but I've just always been really interested in social work I've kind of always knew that that's what it's going to do since I was in like middle school I remember literally having like a dress up day for what you want to be when you grow up. And I just dressed professionally and literally brought a baby doll because I knew I wanted to be social work. And I thought that would just be foster care because that's all I knew of social work at the time. So yeah. it's just been really interesting finding that calling and um, always knowing that I wanted to do social work and work with people, but really how that has changed throughout the years and throughout college and everything else has been um, just exciting. Were your siblings who were adopted, did they, uh, was that because your parents were foster parents at first or what was that journey like? It's been <laughs> a quite a journey. Um, so my family situation is very unique. Both of my parents were, had been divorced and then remarried to each other. And so starting out, it was, I had two half siblings from my dad's side of family and a half sibling from my uh, mom's side of the family. And then um, I'm actually like between my two parents, I'm the only biological child they have together. And then the rest have been, yeah, through foster care. And they kind of started being foster parents as their heart and their mission was to like help, help them reunite with their kids. But that ended up like not happening um, for the majority of um, the children they took in and just the Lord had different plans there. And um, they've even, they've even fostered and parented kids outside of that, that 12 as well. Um, we have some, I have some cousins that they've taken in on and off and some other foster children. And so it's just been um, constantly changing. None of us have 
like all of us have never lived in the same home at the same time. Um, and, but it's just, yeah, that dynamic was always changing and just all, even like the kids, um, even like kids that were friends with different teenagers and friends with my little siblings now are kind of all come back to my house. And so I, even now when I visit, there's always a new kid there. There's someone new I visit or meet every time I go home almost, um, which has just been their, their passion, their ministry, really. That's beautiful. So of all of those siblings uh, that were adopted, are they all younger than you then, or was it? Um, No, they brought in a lot of um, kids as teenagers and older kids. And so I'm actually eighth in that lineup. So I have four younger siblings. Um, But yeah, there's been others that most we've actually had in the home at once was nine. And that's when I was the oldest. So I still very much claim that big sister role. Um, But I love that. I love that. I've loved that role so much. Oh, man, that's amazing. I complain about having my five kids at home sometimes. <laughs> I would, I bet your mother is like an actual saint. I would really love to meet her sometime. Yeah, you should. <laughs> and they, uh, your dad pastors as well, is that correct? Yes, my dad pastors. He's always been um, very much into missions. And so i um, kind of been a missions pastor most of most of my life. But okay. Yeah. So what was your journey to learning about the Enneagram and coming to the conclusion that you're an Enneagram nine? We always ask people that because we find it so fascinating. Yeah, I think it's so fun. Um, I started learning about the Enneagram when I came to Eden's Glory because at Eden's Glory, it's just a big part of the language and everything. And I was kind of really hesitant to it. I thought that, I don't know, I was just unsure of how real it was. I didn't feel like I, I felt like I related to too many of the numbers, I think at first. And so I was like, well, I can claim any of these, honestly. Um, and then I kind of was just telling people I was a two because that's what the test told me I was. And yeah, I like to help people and I want to feel loved and all that stuff. But right. um, as I got deeper into it, I remember just literally one day, like reading more about it and it just clicked that I was a nine. And I felt like I texted someone at work and I said, I just realized I'm a nine and my whole life makes sense now (laughs) in some ways. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, especially when you're like a social work major and you're, you're in all of these psych and social work classes and you're learning about how the brain works. And then someone says, Hey, here's a really trendy thing. Everyone's talking about (laughs) right now. This is totally real and it's going to change your life. And you're like, I don't know about that. Yeah. 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 That's kind of where I was at first. But I love that you took the journey and is, and then you're like, oh, wait, yeah, this makes everything make sense. It's just a language that says, hey, this is who you are and why you are the way that you are. And you just can't argue that the Enneagram is true. <laughs> what was the thing that you read yeah. that you remember just being like, that's it. Someone just read my mind. Um, I don't know. I think it was just a mix of several different things, but I... I like when I was born into my family, I feel like I was already being somewhat of a nine, even before I knew whatever come to realize that or what, um, or whatever. But like 
there was just not, you know, they were at this place where they were combining two different families and there wasn't a lot of peace. And I kind of become that thing that centered everyone. And they gave me that nickname of the glue at that time. And so it's just funny that I can look back and relate it to even, I don't know, things like that. Um, and just that I've just continued to be that role, I think, a lot in my family of the peacemaker or the person that really can see different point of points of views. And I really do connect deeply with each of my siblings and have been able to be yeah. I think this goes back to that nature versus nurture topic. Um, because like, you're right, like you are in the perfect position to be an Enneagram nine in your family, but I have a, a, a really good friend who also had like a yours, mine and ours situation. Like her mm-hmm. parents each had a, two kids of their own and she's the only bio kid between the two, but she's an Enneagram eight. So it's like, she looked at the world and was like, Oh no, I'm taking control of this situation. You guys don't know how to get it together. <laughs> so I think it's just really interesting that I like we're just so innately wired that way that you stepped mm-hmm. into this circumstance and went, okay, I'm going to mediate this. I'm going to bring everyone together. <laughs> well, and it makes sense. I feel like I don't even need to ask you why social work then, because obviously it's in your, it, I mean, you saw it li- living out in your family to see, you know, foster care and adoption being so close to home. But were you thinking that you wanted to, like, did you not see great examples and you thought, I think this could be done better? Or were you, did you appreciate what they were doing and also wanted to do that kind of work? Mm. Yeah, I think I really did appreciate the social workers that I met early on. I always wanted to be a part of the conversations when my parents would meet with social workers, even though, like, I really didn't know what they were talking about, what they were doing. I just knew that they were really wanting to help people. And I really was inspired by that. My older sister um, was also, is also a social worker. And so um, she's a lot older than me. So I saw that growing up as well. And just having the heart for foster care, even though that's not at all the direction that I went with social work. um, That's kind of where it began. And that's where I thought I would end up working. Yeah. Tell us about that. Why the shift in direction then? Um, Well, when I started college, I was still living in Florida and just going to a state college. And I just kind of started social work. I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do with it, but I knew that a lot of things with social work um, so I could figure it out. Um, And that first year, I really felt the Lord calling me more to ministry. And um, I knew that at that state college, I wasn't going to get that type of education Um, and so I really started seeking out where else I could go. And also I was thinking about double majoring at the time, different things. And that's kind of what brought me back to Greenville, um, which was very unexpected. I am originally just from like 45 minutes from Greenville, but I had never heard of Greenville or the college or anything. Um, so it was really how the Lord had shown me that, but um, yeah, as I moved to Greenville and just change a lot of different changes happening in my life at that time, I just started, I, I just started learning a lot more about human trafficking. I started, um, realizing that it was an issue here. I started, and then I really started reading about it, looking into it. Um, and so the Lord had started 
putting that I call in my life very clearly as I was moving to Greenville. And then within my first couple months of living here, I think someone had introduced me to Eden's Glory, people who are doing this ministry here. I just had no idea that this was much of a problem before that, let alone someone's here working um, towards that. In this small little town that I just moved to, it was just really cool how the Lord worked that out. Yeah, yeah. And then you were able to choose that for an internship. So that was a good fit for your education and everything. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I actually started working for Eden's Glory Glory, um, not quite a year before my internship. So I started working for them as just an RA. And then I was able to do my internship and continue to work for them. And so I think that also just gave me a unique perspective as I was in school learning social work, but also already kind of in the field and working towards that. And it just, I don't know if all of our listeners have heard all of the episodes we've ever done, but Eden's Glory is a, a residential program that's a safe house mm-hmm. for survivors of trafficking. Um can you tell them a little bit more what that means as an RA, what you what you did with jo- that particular job description? Yeah, so as an RA is what I started at, just doing at Eden's Glory. While I was still in college, I was a junior. Um, and I have just really loved that part of my job, and I still do that. Um, but really what that means is that I get to be there, like, in the evenings and the weekends, And I just describe it to people as I just get to live life with these women um, in such a beautiful way. And sometimes that's just hanging out, watching movies. Sometimes it's much deeper than that um, in conversations and leading um, and just doing everything from just learning how to do chores, learning how to let go and kind of um, be a child again, um, different things like that. Um, just so much joy has come from that. Um, yeah, it's just really special to live live life with them in a close way like that. Okay, I want to, sorry, Megan, I didn't mean to just take over here, but I've got a bunch of questions for Amber. Because <laughs> um, I feel like a lot of our listeners are like, okay, so I don't want to be a social worker. But you have this unique um, perspective of seeing trauma up close and personal in your family, right? And with mm-hmm. your siblings and uh, foster children that live with you guys for periods of time, uh, seeing social work up close. But like, why, why should our listeners care? You know, like, what is the thing that is their takeaway that would help them understand trauma and um, how, how it can inform how they even live their lives, I guess? Yeah, for sure. Um, well, I think in ways, social work is for everybody. I think so many times I was sitting in class and I'm like, this is kind of just talking about how to be like a good person (laughs) and a helpful person to other people and love other people well. And so this is information like everyone should know. Um, But I just love studying it because of that. Um, But also I think it's just important to know that like almost everyone you're coming in contact contact with has some sort of trauma. Um, And And even a lot of people you're coming in contact with 
are most likely dealing with even complex traumas that we don't realize. And so in order to love people well and care for people well, it's really important that we learn about trauma, learn how that affects people and, and how we can, yeah, how we can better support our community, our group of people um, because of our knowledge about it. I think trauma-informed training should be part of just like every job description in the whole world. Like everyone needs to take courses. If we have to take bias courses, which I firmly believe we should, then we should also be taking trauma courses as well. Um, you also know, just to be a parent. Like, <laughs> right? why do they make me take a test to get a dog or a license for, you know, like an animal, but like anybody can have a child. I wish I knew some of this stuff before I became yeah. a parent. I would have been a lot better at it. Well, I was going to say, I mean, or a teacher, I mean, not that we didn't mm-hmm. have some, some of that training, but definitely 20 years ago when I was in college, we didn't have the trauma-informed education courses that they might now. And I, some of that is just like, we're learning and we're implementing it, but I still think it could be more and more for everybody. Mm-hmm. But just for a really small example of that, like I am not in social work. I am not in counseling of any kind, have not had any any kind of formal training in that area, but leading women's retreats, it's unbelievable the stories that come out that you realize you're sitting with victims of complex trauma sometimes. Mm -hmm. And if I had no tools whatsoever, how do I even engage in a conversation that leads any hope or healing with those people if it's just, if it's all new information? Like, and that's just being in community with someone. That's just taking a weekend trip with somebody. That's not even in a formal job setting. So I just think it's so important the more people can learn that trauma exists, trauma is in everyone of some kind, and there mm-hmm. are things that you can learn to be better equipped to just handle those conversations. Yeah, um, <clears throat> I'm still, I still get, even being in the work and and hearing the stories, even I'm being surprised when I come into contact or hear other stories outside of my work of people I meet every day with really complex um, and stories similar to the women I work with every day at Eden's Glory. Um, And yeah, I think it's really easy to give extra grace and compassion to people once we know their story, once we know that they've been through trauma. But I think also being trauma-informed is giving that grace and giving that compassion without knowing because, well, Mm -hmm. people don't want to bring up their traumatic histories and trauma. That's going to be even more upsetting to them every day. And it's really not always our business even um, either. And so how do we extend that compassion and grace and understanding without knowing so many times we act and then we say, Oh, well, if I would have known that they had experienced that, um trauma or whatever then I wouldn't have said it like that or I would have been more careful or nicer but we should bring that to love people well anyways beforehand so I think people shouldn't have to sorry go ahead I was just gonna say that sounds like a great definition of being trauma-informed like you don't have to have the information to treat people well yeah (laughs) I was gonna say people don't have to prove why they should be treated well either Mm -hmm. with their with their backstory that's good Dr. Bruce Perry wrote a book that he, uh, like Oprah interviewed him in basically. So her, her name was on it, but it was, instead of asking people what's wrong with you, start asking 
what happened to you? Mm-hmm. And if we could just have that mindset with anybody we deal with, even if it's just bad customer service somewhere, we, we could assume that that person's a jerk or we could assume that they just got a really upsetting phone call or mm-hmm. their dog died right before they left the house. Like we don't know. Um, but you, like you said, if we did know, we'd probably ha- show a lot more compassion and empathy. Why can't we just make that our first inclination? to start with, you know, and even people we know well, like at work or, you know, friends, family, we don't always know everything. Mm-hmm. There's so much going on that either they can't talk about, or they don't want to talk about, which valid, you know, there's just things we don't need to dredge up every day. Like you were saying, like totally valid, but why do, why do they have to prove it to us? I think that's really Im- impactful that you said it that way. Um, what do you feel like your education gave you that lens then or what what kind of happened through your four years of college that this is your testimony about it or did you go in already sort of feeling that way and then you were learning things that were like yes that's why I felt this way yeah um I think I just it really my education really opened up my eyes to just learning the statistics and things I couldn't repeat them back to you but just learning like how common these things are how common um trauma is um and people and that really gave me an understanding and then just also learning how does that affect people and how does that show up um in day-to-day life with people um so yeah I think that's one of the things I got to really learn in college um and also just how do we take care of ourselves when we're working with people who are hurting every day um, was alongside that. What does that look like for you? What does that look like for me? Um, I think being out of school and being fully um, working full time now and really doing this almost daily, I've really had to almost kind of flip back to some of my textbooks and flip back to some of my notes and remember, okay, what advice were they giving me then? Because I think at the time I'm like, I'm just so excited to do this work. I'm so excited to do this. Like I cannot imagine feeling burnout or feeling um, guilt things that we discussed. And then you get into it and you're like, okay, what's that textbook saying again? <laughs> um, and so I just, I've, I've also learned, I've learned in school that like when you are processing deep and complex trauma with people, you can, your brain can understand it as if you are going through that trauma yourself. And so you really have to take care of yourself um, to the extent, to that same extent that you're experiencing those things. Um, And so just different things of like, having boundaries between work and home life can mean the biggest difference. Or um, I think oftentimes we get into these places where we, we feel the impact of the stories and what we hear, but then we kind of feel guilty for um, complaining or, um, needing help for those things as well. Cause we didn't really experience that. And if they could do it and they can get through it, then it should be easy for us just hearing of stories and hearing of trauma. Yeah. Um, but when you look at how our brains 
understand it, um, it really shows that you really need to give yourself grace and give yourself the tools, whether that's counseling or just building that community um, and safe places to go when you get off of work, I think is, is what keeps you going. I think that's a really important point. And I want to just say it again for people like we can hear stories that are like severely complex, traumatic stories and go, oh, I've never had to experience anything like that. I have nothing to complain about or I should never uh, feel this emotion about whatever circumstance because it was nothing compared to what somebody else has gone through. But if we're doing that, we're keeping ourselves in a state of disintegration that's going to become a complex trauma for us in our lives at some point because we're not giving ourselves, like you said, the grace to find the tools for our own healing. Like we, we talked about on the episode um, that introduced all of this about like big T traumas, those complex things we're talking about and those little T traumas. And I think it's just as important for people who have experienced just life as a normal little T trauma, no complex situations to go, oh, this is still causing an impact in who I am and I need tools mm-hmm. and resources and grace to find that wholeness again. Yeah. So I just, I just want to point that out and like, thank you for saying it like that. Yeah, for sure. I think um, you don't have to be in social work or counseling or mental health to be hearing um, stories or to be experiencing secondhand trauma either. And you're right, those those more little T traumas, they keep adding up until they tell you something about your story and your life and in the same way need the same type of attention that gets me excited. That's exactly what we talk about here all the time. And I think, I know it's weird to like Enneagram and trauma, but the Enneagram is just like the lens that we're experiencing it all through. So when you can name that, mm-hmm. it, doesn't, it doesn't heal the trauma, but it for those little T traumas, it can actually show you why you've chosen some of those self-preservation or protection mechanisms. Um, and it's, it, it removes the shame, the condemnation that you might feel from some of that, because you can even turn that question to yourself instead of like, what's wrong with you that you always react that way? Or what's wrong with you that you always lose it about this thing or always get in the same cycle. Instead, you can be like, wow, look at what you've lived through, like to yourself and use those same tools. Um, it's kind of like, we always say on here, some of the best parenting advice is even if you don't have kids, it's so good to use to reparent the parts of you that maybe didn't get it right the first time around, you know, so counseling, all of this is the same way. Like we all care because we want to be better for the people around us, but we can also care because we can be better for ourselves and help our own journey of healing kind of move forward by using those tools. And so dismissing what healing we need isn't helpful there. Yeah. Okay. Last question for you. Um, so I feel like you already kind of went into this, but like the difference between the textbook information, like you said, like some of that you were like, oh, I'll never have burnout. So I just didn't pay attention. Like I just aced the test, but whatever, that won't be me. Um, But other things maybe where it's like, but then the reality of living it out, uh, what was that? Did you ever have a moment where you're like, oh, okay. You just slapped me in the face. This is the cold, hard truth here. This is not what I thought. Um, I mean, working in social work, you're going to, you're dealing with people and you're dealing with people who are hurting. And so oftentimes um, they're hurt around them and you can read about those situations. You can read about crisis um, intervention and 
and things like that all day long. But until you're in the situation um, um, where you're having some type of emergency or crisis or your feelings are being hurt, like you cannot read about that enough to prepare you. Um, and so it's important to remember the tools that we've learned um, for me in, in class and stuff. But um, really, I think you just kind of have to get into the work and experience it and learn from those real life situations. Um, I think, thankfully for me, I, I grew up um, a lot of times intervening in crisis in different situations like that. And so it came more naturally to me. Um, so yeah, you can read about how trauma is affecting people and how um, that may come out in ways. And so you can remember, okay, this is not about me, even if um, you're working with someone who is trying to um, verbally attack you or whatever it may be, but that's not going to change the way it makes you feel when you're in the work. And so just balancing both um, like the life experience and the truth of like what, the textbook and what you're learning as well. That's good. I feel like that's a takeaway for all of us in any relationship though. Uh, well, one of the things we have at Eden's Glory is we're not fighting each other. We're fighting our past because often the things that residents will struggle with in relationship is so much more informed by the trauma that they've brought in than it is about the situation they're fighting about or, or whatever. But isn't that true for all of us? Like <laughs> there are, there are like several continuous arguments that my husband and I have had for 25 years. And I promise it's not the circumstances. It is, it's the stories we tell ourselves and how we bring that into the moment. What if we could all be like, oh, this mostly is just not about me. And I can step back and stop reacting. And I can start responding to the hurt that this person is presenting. And maybe there's a chance for healing and connection then versus everybody just armoring up to go into battle, you know, because everything's about me. Sometimes I wish I could go back like 20 years, but with the knowledge that I have now and like relive the last two decades, not yeah. just for myself, but like for everyone I've ever come in contact with, because <laughs> just as you're talking, I'm thinking like my first year of teaching as a 23 year old, like college grad, and I'm standing in front of a room full of seventh graders and I've been in the classroom and I've student taught and I've read all the textbooks and I have observed and I've done all of this stuff. And then all of a sudden uh, this seventh grade boy, who's, you know, a foot shorter than me, calls me a bad name. And I'm like, go to the office. Like he didn't come to school on the first day of seventh grade to be a jerk to me. He doesn't even know me. It's not about me. So my job should have been like, Hey, what happened to you with another teacher or another mm -hmm. authority figure or another adult in your past that makes you respond like that? And what can I do to come alongside you? And I'm like, I would have written so many fewer referrals and <laughs> just taught so much like so differently and I just I wish I could go back and learn that stuff like I'm glad at 40 I'm learning it but I wish I'd known the stuff at 20 I'm, I'm jealous of people who like are your age and like graduating college with all of this information and you kind of lived the application in your home and then got the theory and now you're moving back into the application and that's just going to be so powerful and I can't wait to see what you do like at, for the next 20 30 years Thank you. It's been quite the adventure for sure. Well, you live it out beautifully. And thank you for coming on today. Um, I would say almost any Enneagram 9 that we've interviewed has been a little nervous about it, but 
you just blew it out of the park. Yeah. <laughs> Thank <this> you. One. <laughs> yes, it's so true. Um, being an Enneagram nine and then having to work through that struggle of significance and then coming on something like this and being like, I'm going to tell people what I know and um, share my voice when that is a struggle of um, realizing that people actually sometimes want to hear what I have to say. Um, so it's been fun and I'm glad that you asked me. It's definitely pushed me in a helpful way. So <laughs> Well, we definitely wanted to hear what you had to say, but you surpassed my expectations. It was beautiful. <laughs> yes. You. And it was worth hearing. So we're going to be promoting this like crazy. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Thanks, Amber. Yeah. Thank you. And that wraps up another episode of the Dauntless Grace Exchange. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app and leave a review so other people can find us. You can follow us on social media to stay connected. We're on Instagram at Dauntless Grace Ministries and our Facebook page is Dauntless Grace. For more about the Enneagram, visit our website at dauntlessgrace.org for coaching and training opportunities. And you can follow me at Enneagram Megan on Instagram. And be sure to check out our website for more information about today's podcast. Plus, you can click the resources tab to find books by all the authors we've spoken to or about. And you can find it at dauntlessgrace.org.